Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. I want you to do something for me that's a little bit different before we dive into the scripture that she was reading. And uh, in the third and fourth chapter of Joshua, I want you to pick up your bulletins and look at the bottom of the, um, of the sermon outline. <clears throat> what I'm, I'm wanting to get you to get in your mind ahead of time. Now, if you don't have one, go back there and get it because this is kind of important. I want you to see that uh, the way God does things. Because so often we get the idea that everything about God is a mystery. Well, it isn't. We know of everything about God that he wants us to know. That's called he has revealed himself in Scripture and in the person of Jesus Christ. That the revelation is what we're talking about. And God is, and all through the Old Testament in particular, and even in the book of Acts, the, the distinction between the true and the living God and the pagan gods that men have made for themselves. All through history, men have made idols that are like themselves. You and I, as flawed human beings, are all capricious. We, we're, you know, we can change at the drop of a hat for no good reason. And, and so the pagan gods that, that were worshipped in Egypt, well, all over the world, were capricious and, and changeable and crazy. The true and the living God, the God of, of, of uh, the Old Testament people, Israel, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so on, revealed himself as being dependable and predictable. So we, we have a tendency to forget that sometimes. If you look here at the bottom of what I'm trying to show you is, here's the way God dealt with Moses. And, if you, and so what did he do? Moses was selected by God to lead the people. He was empowered by the Spirit of God. And he led the people across the Sea of Reeds. Now, your Bible will probably say the Red Sea, but the Hebrew term is actually Sea of Reeds, R-E-E-D-S. You know what reeds are. Don't ever go into that. These bushes that grow around water. So he crossed there, and, and if you recall, an angel of God went before them, and then Moses led the people. At one time, when the Egyptians were chasing them, the angel went to the back of them just to protect them till they got across the Red Sea. And when they got to the edge of the Promised Land, Moses sent out spies, 12 of them, you recall. Only two brought back a good report, Caleb and Joshua. While he was up on the Mount Sinai with Joshua, written in stone were the Ten Commandments. When the people <clears throat> misbehaved, actually, Moses said to God, God said, I'll tell you what, I'll just get rid of all of them and I'll let your descendants be the next generation. And Moses said, no, please don't do that. You know, these are your people, you selected them, da-da-da-da-da. He interceded for the people and intercession. And that becomes important in the New Testament. 
You recall when Moses saw a burning bush and he came into the presence of the burning bush, you recall he said, the, the, the voice of God said, you know, take your shoes off here. This is holy ground. Now, there wasn't anything holy about the ground other than the fact that, he, that on that ground, God was there present speaking to them. Now, if you go over and look at Joshua in the next column, you will see that God deals with Joshua amazingly similar to the same way that he dealt with Moses. Here we have Joshua there at the foot of Mount Nebo in what is modern-day Jordan to cross the Jordan River. So you have him leading across on dry land just exactly, and we'll explain more of that in a minute. Just like Moses, <coughs> I need to explain something. I had surgery this week, and, and when they give you general anesthesia, they stick this thing down your throat while you're zonked out, and it actually breathes for you and does all that other stuff. And when they leave that thing in there for about an hour and a half, and they pull it out, they, they uh, irritate your, your larynx, everything there. But, you know, so if I sound especially handsome and, and virile and bass-like, it's because of what took place. And if I cough a little bit, we'll blame them too. But anyhow, they crossed the Jordan, uh, and, and the similarities of that crossing to the crossing of the Sea of Reeds. Before they attacked the city of Jericho, what did he do? He sent out spies to come back. And, and you probably haven't noticed this yet, but maybe you will. Actually, Joshua took the time to carve out on sticks, on pieces of stone, the commands of God and repeated them to the people on different times. Same thing here. He interceded for the people. Another instance, and I put the scripture there, and it's in the fifth chapter of the book of Joshua. An angel of the Lord confronted him, and you, Joshua actually said, oh, you force her against us. He was frightened by it because, you know, for whatever reason, wherever there's a confrontation between humans and angels, invariably the angel has, has a frightening effect upon the people. Be not afraid, be not afraid, be not afraid was always what the angel said to the people. So I, I'm, what I'm telling you here is because in the New Testament, when we get there one of these days, you're going to see that when Jesus started his ministry and the church, da-da-da-da-da, the similarities of how God dealt with Moses, how he dealt with Joshua, later on the prophets, you will see that there is a, an amazing, predictable similarity of the way that God operates. He's not capricious. He does just change his mind and do something stupid. Now, that becomes very important for us to have peace of mind. We know that God keeps his promise. He makes his promises. He keeps his promises. He's predictable in a lot of ways. Now, it is true that the Bible says his ways are above our ways, and some of them are beyond our finding out. That's true. He hasn't revealed all of himself to us. But what he has revealed should be very comforting in that he's not capricious, he's predictable, you can rely on him. There's a comforting effect when you know you're in the presence of somebody who's very dependable. And so that, you need to get that message across because it needs to be repeated from time to time.
Now I'm going to read a part of the third chapter before we dive into it here. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from a dirty word place there and went to the Jordan where they camped before the crossing uh, over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, and this is important now. They're going, they're, they're getting ready to cross the river, and before they crossed, the leaders, the officers, because they had a military group, gave orders to the people. The orders were this. When you see the Ark of the Covenant, which was just a box, wooden box with some stuff in it, of the Lord your God, and the priest, who are Levites, carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and to follow it. However, you to, just to save time, they were to keep a significant difference of probably a thousand feet between the Ark of the Covenant and the people. Now, Joshua told the people, listen to this, because I think it carries an important message in verse 5. Consecrate yourselves. Now, this is to all of Israel following Joshua and the Ark of the Covenant across the Jordan into the promised land. Consecrate yourselves. I really don't know exactly what that means. I know the meaning of the word, but I don't know how they went about consecrating themselves. I think it implies two or three things. The word consecrate is the same as the word in the New Testament, holy. Hagiadzo is the, is the Greek word which means to set apart and to be different and to be set apart for a purpose. So it appears to me that at least it meant you people are to follow your leader who is being led by God. You people are to have the frame of mind of being obedient to the commands that will be given you. These things are kind of spelled out here. I'm inclined to believe, though, I'm inclined to believe that they're, they're being told, look, today, something very special is going to happen. And you are to realize that it's all because of the God you worship. And you are going to be participating with your God in accomplishing something that can only be accomplished if he's leading you. We need to keep that in mind because of the miracle that's about to take place. Now, the reason this becomes very important is before I get through here this morning, I'm going to make that application to us coming to church. So just be set. And so if you can find a good reason to leave before I get that, you'll probably be comforted by it. You're not really listening. Okay. So they were asked to, let's just keep on reading here. He says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. So I I think that's far as I need to go right now along with what the young lady read well. These words that are presented here, Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you 
and that's where I want to stop because the rest of it is not necessary. <clears throat> Listen carefully to the Word of God. Okay. Now here's where I'm headed. And, um, and I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable. I'm going to try to make you a tool of power and influence for our God in the community where we live. I think there is in this passage of scripture a key. Now I've mulled this over for weeks and what I'm getting ready to say isn't uh, isn't uh, capricious itself and and just something that popped into my head this morning. I prayerfully and carefully <clears throat> prepared for this moment. I don't know <clears throat> how many of you have actually seen a significant moving of the Holy Spirit in a church. It might even be frightening to some of you. It might be. Because the atmosphere is such that many of you have never, ever experienced. We had that happen here at our church. We didn't have a building. We actually rented a Seventh-day Adventist building up here on 27th Street. And for whatever reason that I cannot give you except that God made up his mind to do it because it's something that wasn't anything we did. But all of a sudden in that church building there were scores of teenagers. Can you imagine that? I'm talking about up to maybe a hundred every weekend. And Ralph Harrison had been their teacher up to McKinley and in, here in town as a music teacher. And he was able over a period of time to get those youngsters to sing as a, in the congregation as a choir of music that was so beautiful that it was spine tingling. It was embarrassing to me because we had people, teenagers walking forward to accept Christ before I preached. Can you imagine how embarrassing that was? <laughs> I thought they were supposed to wait till I issued an invitation. Here they were walking down there. What I'm saying is, God sometimes acts in unusual, but I think predictable ways, even though we were ignorant of those ways at that time. We had to learn. I think I told you this. We had about two dozen of them, kids, go with some adults to Cincinnati to see a musical called Natural High because the drug thing was starting back there in the 70s. And that was before 32 and the AA and all that other stuff. Old 52 was what you came from here to Cincinnati then. About 20 miles or so out of Cincinnati coming this way on 52 was New Richmond. And in New Richmond, there was a Frisch's that was open almost all night. Alice Kay had gone with them. <clears throat> I was already in bed. 
it was around midnight when she called and she said, there's some young people that have accepted Christ tonight and want to be baptized. I said, well, good. Good night. I'm going to hang up. She said, they want to be baptized tonight. Okay. I would, I would suggest that she take them to the river and do it herself, but I didn't. It would not have been wise. It just so happened that the Seventh-day Adventist, as we only immerse, and so there was water there because we used it often. Because in those two or three years, we baptized over 500 teenagers. And uh, so at 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning, there were a few adults, parents there, still in their pajamas. And I was there in the baptistry baptizing probably 10 or 12 teenagers. Their influence was all over town and all over our county. I received a telephone call one day during school hours from Charlie Adams. I don't know whether any of you remember Charlie Adams or not. Charlie Adams must have been 6'5 and weighed 250. He, he was big enough to hunt bear with a switch. He called me up and I, I said, yeah, what can I do for you? And he said, I, I need your help. Oh, okay. What, what, what do you mean? He said, we, some of the teenagers that are going to your church are trying to convert our teachers during school hours. And it's creating a disturbance. <laughs> I knew then it was a pretty good thing. So I said, Mr. Adams, I can't help you. I, I really can't help you. Uh, are they are they doing anything other than making some people uncomfortable? He said, no, their behavior is excellent. I, I, it, it isn't that. And, and I said, well, what's wrong with what's going on? He said, well, it's disturbing the classes. And that probably was. Now, I tell you that not because I'm endorsing it or not endorsing it. What I'm telling you is that when God does things, people do get um, uncomfortable, shall I say. I actually felt sorry for the teachers. But I was not going to say, don't you, to the kids, I was not going to say, don't do it. And it took care of itself in time. The only thing I did do is say, please show respect. Please be respectful. And I think they were. I wish Pam Mead were here. She could explain it better than I could. Now, what I'm doing is telling you that during that particular time, everyone who walked into that building after a while came with a spirit of expectation, and everybody, even people who couldn't sing, tried. Does that make sense to you? Everybody was singing. There wasn't a lot of this kind of stuff jumping around. There wasn't any of that. And I'll be honest with you, there were times when some of them came that had enjoyed uh, uh, a hit or two of marijuana before they got there. That, that did happen. We were accused of it, and I'm certain it was true. And you, you get involved in the lives of people. I actually helped deliver a baby out here up north of town 
uh, if I gave you a name, you would know. Delivered a help, took a home care nurse with me, and we hatched the baby. And there's, I could write a pretty good book about it. But now, listen to me carefully. I'm of the opinion that what was needed then, which was a movement of the Lord, and these young, and, and I was told by adults, ah, it'll blow over, they won't mount to a row of peas, blah, blah, blah. It's all emotional stuff. And it was emotional. It truly was. There were lots of goosebumps. And I'm not a goosebumpy type person. I'm kind of a rational kind of a bird put together that way. But we have had and still we had kids go to start a church in Pennsylvania, start a church in North Carolina, maybe South Carolina. What's all that, what state is all this Camp Lejeune in that you see television? Is that North or South Carolina? North Carolina, well, that's where it was. Started church there. We had, we helped start a church in, in the Ukraine that is still there. George and Pam Markey took some kids and went there. And so the influence of that one thing uh, was substantial all over the country and in other countries. One of the things that was noticeable there that is not noticeable here anymore and in most churches is that People didn't, do not gather on a Sunday morning with a great spirit of expectation. And maybe you don't know what I'm talking about, but maybe one of these days you will. Where there is a spirit of expectation is directly related to what the Bible, the Bible says about faith. What I'm telling you is that I'm of the opinion that, and I think I can make a case for it, but I, I hate rules that are imposed. I think it's a whole lot better that people be offered the opportunity and they can choose them freely for themselves. What we have allowed the church to become, and I'm guilty, is that we have allowed the church over years, not just our congregation, but generally speaking in the Western world, we have allowed the church to become a gathering of people to see what's going to happen on the platform. How different that is like going to a lecture or going to a concert. You go to a concert, you freely expect it to be entertaining, either good or bad, but what takes place on the stage. And the church was never meant to be that way. And so what I was suggesting last night, and will suggest again to you today, is that we need to make a covenant among us that you consecrate yourself before coming to the church building on a Saturday or a Sunday. Now, what does that mean? 
I think it means that you should make some preparation just as I do. I never stand up here without hours of preparation, and sometimes you would be shocked. I've been doing this all my life, and you may say, well, what the heck does he do that for? Because in each instance, you expect the Lord to provide you with something that you need to share with his people. So what I'm suggesting to you is that before you show up here is that you should have, and, and this is not a guilt trip because I'm just now talking about it, is that you should have read how many times, I don't know, whatever it took, the third and fourth chapters of Joshua several times before you got here so that what I'm saying, I don't have to waste a lot of time giving you what the scripture says you already know. Now then, we're in a position to talk about. And you come then with, as a participant and not just an observer. You come as God's people prepared to come into a confrontation with the living God himself who promised that where two or more were gathered in his name, he'd be there. Okay, now that he's here and you're here, what are you going to do? Sit there and see and then listen to me and then get back in the car and say, well, he did pretty good today or didn't do so bad. You know, we don't need that nonsense. What we do need to happen is that all of us can agree God was here and, and he took over and some things happened. We hadn't anticipated, but we were looking forward to it and we can't wait to see what's going to happen the next time. I'm not exaggerating. You see, the reason I can say this with a degree of authority is because God operates the same way with Joshua as he did with Moses, and he'll do it with us. We are his people. But it says before he would work with his people and get them to the promised land, which is just over the river, it's just like South Shore, just over the river, only the Jordan River, in many instances you can spit over if you got a wind to your back, it's not that big a deal. So what I'm saying is, I think we have a responsibility that we haven't done very well of letting you all know well ahead of time, here's the text that we're going to be talking about, and here's some things about it. You see, we do that for the children, because your children are given a little piece of paper like this that says, okay, here's the text, here's what the preacher's going to be talking about, here's what we're going to be talking about, here's some of the questions on it that that parents need to go over with their children after church is over. I think we need to, and, and we're going to talk about this, provide with all of you weeks ahead of time the sermon title and the text and what should be read in preparation for coming to meet with your God. So, you know, there's failure on our part, too, because we all got sucked into this thing of uh, we allowed our culture to guide us rather than to be guided by the Word of God. And that can happen so easy.
And those of us in positions of leadership are probably far more guilty than, than you all are. Now, what I'm saying is that God will, I don't know what I'm doing here, just making that racket, that God will keep his promise. And we need to make promises of our own. Now, there's some really interesting things that took place here. Joshua had the, the high priest and representatives from each tribe to go right down into the middle of the river, and he told them, here's what I want you to do. She read it for you. I want each of you to pick up a rock right out of the middle of the river, put it on your shoulder, and carry that thing out, and we're going to... And, and all through Scripture, that process has been hap it's happened a lot of times in Scripture. That process of taking those stones and putting them in a place where a lot of people pass by. He said, where you're going to spend the night tonight, I want you to set those stones up. The setting up of those stones is referred to, those stones are referred to as standing stones. You can Google it if you want to. I did just out of curiosity. Got a little piece of paper here that I can show you of a whole sheet of places where standing stones are referred to in Scripture. They were there at the base of Mount Sinai when Moses took over. There are several biblical examples. Joshua, uh, Jacob, it was, anyway, there's at least half a dozen or more. You may be shocked, even though I haven't found this in writing. I haven't yet, and maybe won't. But I'm inclined to believe that the whole concept of standing stones that you are more familiar with than you think you are because the pagan world used them a lot. In England, you often see that, what's the name of that place where they're Stonehenge? Yeah. You remember that? Now, Stonehenge was a little bit different because it was both for military and memorial purposes. Joshua's people were told, you take those stones and you set them up. They actually dug a hole, put part of it down, part of it above, put it in some kind of a formation. And he said, whenever children or anybody walks past you, they'll say, what the heck is that? And they would say, well, that, that's a memorial of the fact that God led his people out of their bondage in Egypt into the promised land, a land that flows with milk and honey. Now, in Stonehenge, that was a little bit different, because, but it was the same principle. Though some of those stones are 12 foot high, and if you dug down and they go in the ground 12 foot, these are anywhere from 15 to 20 feet. And, and they actually had a, a cover around the top of them, and then an, in, and an interior set of stones, because that was not only for worship and a memorial, it was there for the purpose of military protection. Why? Because if, if, you had, if you just had one circle out here and a cover over, the guy on the other side can shoot arrows over and hit you in the back. So they built an inside circle of stones to protect the backside. That way they can step out, ding, get back in, be safe. So it was both a, <laughs> a memorial place and, a, and for military purposes as well. Most of the stuff in Scripture are for one purpose only. It is as a memorial. 
Now, what you may, what I started to tell you, is you may or may not agree with me, but I think you probably should, is that modern-day tombstones have their background in the biblical standing stones. The standing stones were what? A memorial to what took place. Tombstones are what? They're a memorial stone for who had lived. And I think I can make a case. I'd have to do some other research for the fact that the tombstones that you will probably pay for and have over your grave have their history in the Bible and things called the standing stones. If you go to verse 6 in chapter 4, it says that these are a sign among you in the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? And you tell them. And then in verse, th- th- in, then in, in, um, in verse 7, he says, these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. These 12 stones. Every great act of God in the Old Testament, they end up putting standing stones. And the word to rise up is, is, is translated standing. These standing stones. Now, that's why the New Testament, whenever we get together, we take communion every week. Why? Because the church has always done that. Now, many churches don't. Most of these are churches that have their historic roots in the Reformation. In the Reformation movement, there was such bitterness between the followers of Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and others. Against, and the Catholic Church hated them, and they hated the Catholic Church. And any time that emotional decisions are made that do not have no do not have roots in scripture people make a mistake and so to be different from the catholic church they said we're not going to have communion like mass every sunday we'll do it once a month once a quarter once whatever they were wrong the catholic church was right that memorial is something that that we need to be reminded of the great act of god which was what that Jesus died on a cross, shed his blood, and paid for our sins. Don't forget it. And so he said, now, now listen to this because it gets kind of interesting. When we get over to the book of Peter in the New Testament, he says, Because of what Christ did for us when he died on the cross and paid for our sins by the shedding of his blood, God said the shedding of his blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So Jesus did that. We didn't deserve it. And it allows us, you see, for what he did and putting our faith in him to do what? To enter the promised land. See how that goes Historically the same. The great act of God was the cross. The vindication of who Jesus was was the resurrection. Nobody can argue that. That's the greatest tested to fact in human history. How do we know it's true? Because he lived again. 
people were there still living at the time the New Testament was written, the 500 of them at different times. The big deal here is, Peter says, because of what God has done through Christ on the cross, and because of our faith in him, that God has allowed his atoning death to pay for our sins, and we through faith bring that forgiveness to ourselves. He said, as a result of that, you and I are to become standing stones. Living stones, he said, put it this way. We're stones that aren't just dead in the we're living, we're alive and living stones. That's that's what he actually he refers to it here in First Peter, second chapter, fifth verse. Probably ought to read it just so you not think I'm having leftovers from anesthesia. I've already been accused of that. Chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. As you come to him, the living stone, meaning Jesus, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to God, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what he's doing here is taking that Old Testament idea of standing stones as a memorial to the great acts of God in the past history. Just say the greatest act that God has ever done in all of human history was to pay for our sins, offer us salvation through Jesus Christ, and then infuse you with the power of the Holy Spirit so that as you live before people, you become living testimonies, living memorials, living standing stones before the community where we live. And if and when we are, I can promise you without fear of contradiction that the entire community will be moved and shaken. How can I say that? I saw it happen once. So I know I'm right on that. And so I guess I'm praying, well, I know I'm praying, this one thing. Lord, I'm 85 years old, and the doctors have been having fun on me now for about six months. Could we pull this off one more time before I bite the dust? Because I can promise you, if you've never participated, that it'll be something that you will talk about the rest of your life. You will see people that you'd given up on be totally and completely overnight changed until something that you don't even hardly recognize. The power of God to act on people who have consecrated themselves in preparation for coming into his presence is something to really behold. Now, before we take up our bed and walk, I think you and I can agree that uh, most of the references now that are made among church people in 
crossing the Jordan and entering the promised land, mo most of those references now are to people who die, are dying. I don't want to cross Jordan alone, which is, goes on to say, you know, we're going, we're dying and going to the promised land. Heaven is, the promised land is, is viewed in many of their songs and stuff because songs today have a lot, have, in the church today have more influence than the Bible and that needs to change because some of the songs are just beautiful poetry that, that we enjoy singing, nothing wrong with them, but sometimes their theology is awful. But the idea is that uh, when we, that we will cross over Jordan to the promised land if we are consecrated to God and we're his chosen people And if you can die with the testimony that on your gravestone it, you would be referred to as a child of God. Years ago, what was to be on my tombstone was, was done by uh, a guy named Jim Bloomfield. Some of you may or may not remember. Jim's been dead for some time. He wrote me a little letter, just a note, because he had TB. He had children that we had sent down to Grundy to the children's home down there. By the way, that's where Oscar Sheedway from Kentucky, you people who are truly saved, to understand. You didn't catch that? Guys, you are sleepy. Oscar Sheedway is, is the Kentucky basketball star who's a Christian man from the Congo down there. But when he came to the U.S., he initially came to the Grundy Mountain Mission School down in Grundy, West Virginia. It's a church school. And I sent Jim Bloomfield's children there while he and his wife had to go to a sanitarium. Isn't that what they called it that, uh, when they had TV? Seems like it's, that's the right word. And he wrote me a little note. I still have it in a file. And in it, it said, he spoke, and man followed Jesus. And he said, would you put it on your tombstone? We all would be blessed if that could be said of us when we cross over Jordan into the promised land. Well, I'm done if you are. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you can look at us and see the potential of us being living, standing stones, a memorial to what you did on the cross. And I'm grateful that you keep your promises and I look forward to that precious promise of someday seeing you face to face because of your grace. And Father, if there's anybody here this morning who thinks they've gotten to the place where they're just beyond help,
are just not good enough. Or they've done something just super stupid. We pray that they'll not leave this building, but they'll walk right down this aisle where I'll be standing waiting to give them some hope of becoming a standing stone. And this day will be never forgotten because they will be totally and completely forgiven. Not because we deserve it, but because of your great love and what you've done for us through the person of Jesus Christ through whom we pray. Amen. If you're here and you need that hope, I'm going to be sitting right over here. I'm tired, so I'm going to sit down. You come up and sit with me, would you? The rest of you are free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.